Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the official pest control of UGA Athletics. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. One of the real truisms in life is that haters are going to hate. We know that. That's what makes them haters. And in 2022, I would say that we saw some evidence of some haters out there for Georgia, even though Georgia had won the national championship and spent most of the year dominating every team that had played on the way to a second national championship. There was, and we pointed this out at the time because it kind of irritated us, there was this sort of weird level of doubt that existed around Georgia. Some of this was prior to the season when the entire world was in love with Ohio State and Alabama, who by the way is nowhere to be found in the postseason conversation. Some of this was part of the Tennessee game when everybody just seemed really amped up about the idea of kind of a newcomer into the national championship playoff discussion and this notion that Georgia, who was in the eyes of some, maybe some sort of fluke or flash in the pan, they were going to cede their spot at the top of the SEC pecking order for this upstart Tennessee team that some people I just think liked better because of the fact that they were you know, playing a more finesse brand of football. But whatever the reasoning was, there were doubters for UGA a year ago. I think there's a tendency on the part of the media sometimes to misremember things like this because everybody responds to incentives and the media is incentivized to kind of recast stories after they happen to make them seem in retrospect more obvious they appear at the time because by doing so that makes them feel smarter because uh, all of this stuff feels like something they could have easily predicted and yet if you want to go back in many moments during last season you see example of people maybe not quite realizing what an obvious conclusion we were heading to Georgia winning its second straight national championship and the fact that Georgia players and in some cases coaches were honest about that and open about that and frankly called some of that out I thought was a really good thing good example of that in January as it relates to Georgia quarterback Stetson Bennett who by the way probably faced more of these so-called doubters than anybody did uh, but he was also quick to point out the team itself also had plenty of that there as well let me let you hear this as a way of setting us up for what our topic's going to be today this is Stetson Bennett from January this is what we set out to do this year. Uh, you know, there's a lot of lot of lot of people who doubted us. A lot of people who, um, you know, and I know people are gonna be like, "Well, uh, no, we didn't." Well, yeah, you did. Um, you know, maybe not doubted us as as far as you know unranked doubted us, but it wasn't there wasn't a consensus, um, and it seems as if people have forgotten that storyline um, and forgotten what, what what this team has done as a collective. You know, fought through that and heard all the doubters whenever you know we're talking about 15. Uh, draft picks lost to the draft and uh, you know a lot, a lot of those guys over there on defense and even on offense heard that um, you know and so we, we went to work and we took it week by week and now we're here so um, I think I think that's really special. So I think what Stetson Bennett says there is 100% true. Every single word of that's 100% true that no one was predicting Georgia to be unranked and some of the stuff we heard from the national championship game about Georgia going six and six or seven and five. I don't know that anybody actually said that, but you did have, you know, Takeda Spikes in the SEC network predicting that Georgia would lose to South Carolina prior to the season started. You had uh, Chris Doring in the SEC network predicting that Georgia would lose to Kentucky. You had the entire world predicting that Georgia would lose to Tennessee. You had some people who even suggest that Georgia could lose to Oregon. That if you actually want to go back and look, there were at least some voices suggesting that Georgia could lose any number of the games that it played last season, even though it ultimately didn't lose any of them so what Bennett says there I believe is 100 correct and I do believe that Georgia was right to have a chip on its shoulder last season and the idea that a guy like Bennett doesn't necessarily want to let 
the uh, the uh, you know the commentariat, if you will, off the hook on that. I think that's probably all fair, and I think that's probably all good as it relates to the Georgia storyline for last season. But here's where the tone kind of changes a little bit. That what worked last year doesn't necessarily work this year. And if it was true last year that Georgia was doubted, there were at least two teams thought to be more likely national champions when the season began than Georgia was a year ago, that if you could create reasonable levels of doubt about Georgia last season, it is going to be far harder to do that this year. <laughs> you know, doubters are going to be a whole lot more difficult to find. And some of the early gambling information that we have about the upcoming season, I think, gives us an idea of just how true that is. Let me show you this from FanDuel. This is one of those online sports books that uh, has posted some early national championship odds. We'll see more of this. And eventually, some of this will kind of change a little bit. But what you see is, is that Georgia is by far and away the favorite to win this year's national championship. They are right now what's you're listed as plus 220 which essentially means they are just slightly above a two to one chance of winning the national championship where the next closest team alabama is just five to one that's a little bit of a gap between the the highest rated favorite and the next rated favorite than you sometimes see then you get to ohio state that's at seven to one only three teams with odds shorter than 10 to one to win the national championship georgia in a far better position than both alabama and ohio state then you get to michigan who's currently 10 to one usc who's currently 16 to one florida state 18 to one lsu same odds by the way those two teams will play to begin the season then you get to the two teams at 20 to one clemson and penn state and that's it in terms of the relatively short odds win the national championship and Georgia far above all those other teams. So the idea of if it was true that you were doubted to begin the 2022 season, and if it was true that you faced some doubt during the season, going to be a lot harder to establish that as a narrative here this year because you know gambling odds, reflective of the uh, opinion at large of college football fans and media types, whatever else, they just sort of view Georgia as a prohibitive favorite to win this year's national championship. So. How do you cultivate that motivation then, knowing that you won't be playing week to week trying to vanquish critics or shut this guy up or shut that person up or whatever else? You don't quite have that in store for you this year. So what do you do in place of all of that? Well, we heard a little bit from Kirby Smart the other day at the Making Touchdown Club. He was talking about you know the fact they don't expect to be a one-hit wonder. They don't expect to go away anytime soon. And they're trying to kind of conjure up other great sports franchises, other great sports entities for kind of how they've maintained a level of success, how they come back and do it year after year after year. And one of the things that Smart talked about in that uh, particular Q&A session down in Macon was the idea of teaching the team to be okay with eating off the floor. Now, what does that mean necessarily? Uh, no five-second rule, I don't guess, here on this. This means you know something you know far beyond all of that, of the idea of you know, I sort of interpret this as, hey, don't assume you're too good to eat off the floor and don't be so satiated that that you're not hungry enough to, to get down and eat off the floor. That's how much you want your next meal and all that. Basically, kind of keeping that same edge and intensity now that you've had success as you had while you're chasing success. That's kind of my way of interpreting all that. But frankly, some of the Georgia players who are hearing this message on a more regular basis than I am. I think they probably actually have a little bit better interpretation on that. So in light of the fact that Georgia is now the clear favorite and the so-called doubters that may have existed before, they're going to be a lot harder to come by here right now. Then how does this Georgia team eat off the floor, as Kirby Smart says, and stay hungry despite the fact there has been so much success? I actually thought Kamari Laster had uh, the Georgia cornerback. I thought Kamari Laster had something really good to say about that last week. This is what uh, Laster did say. Eating off the floor is just a mentality like you um 
you're not too big for anything. You're not too big to do the little things right. You're not too big to do the things that got you to where you are. So, I mean, just going in and approaching every day, like I said, like it's your last day, you know, giving your best at every opportunity you have. What's the, the motivation? And, and I know that Coach Smart is a master motivator, and last year he had a lot of you guys sold on, apparently, nobody thought you were going to be good or something he said, which couldn't be further from the truth, by the way. But, but now everybody thinks you're going to be good. You're, you're going to be a preseason number one to, to make history as a three-peat. So where do you feel like the team has drawn some inspiration? Or, or is there still a chip on the shoulder? Or, like, what do you think collectively the team is motivated by this offseason? I think we're motivated by just, you know, not getting complacent, not um, not trying to stay stagnant. You know, if we stay stagnant, then people will catch up to us. And then if people catch up to you, you're eventually going to get beat. And um, just, to, just to not wanting to lose, you know, we, at Georgia, we want to win every game. We want to win against everybody we play. So, I mean, just the will to win is what's, what's keeping us going. It's what's motivating us. So I think that's all really strong stuff from Kamari Lasseter. Everything that he says sounds exactly like you would hope it would sound for a team that's trying to conjure up the right mindset going after a historic season of go for three and in, in, in 23. Everything that Laster says there is completely right. But any of you who've ever accomplished anything great in your life, you'll know this, is that what Laster says there is easier said than done. That, hey, we're going to fight against complacency each and every day. We're going to do that. Uh, but at some point in time, you know, maintaining that consistent edge, that consistent focus is just difficult to do. In fact, we probably saw this from Georgia a year ago where I don't know that the best version of Georgia played every single Saturday last season. In fact, I'm pretty sure that it didn't. Now, when Georgia really needed to be at its best, it was certainly more than capable of getting the job done. But there were a few days in which good enough would have gotten you by, and Georgia kind of was just sort of good enough. So on the one hand, the schedule for the upcoming season provides more opportunities for that, but you are always a little bit concerned of, hey, if you get too used to being less than your best too frequently, then can you really conjure up and be that version of yourself when you really need to? Georgia proved in 2022 it could, but those questions will be asked once again in 2023 there as well. But this is where I think the overall talent level of the program probably helps it. Uh, because the kind of edge that Georgia might not need to win all of its games this season because it's going to be such a big favorite. If a, if you're a player, you do need that same edge, though, to approach practice on a day-in, day-out basis, where you've got to not just prove yourself against the 12 regular season opponents that you'll play, but you must also prove yourself against the guys you're going up against in practice because, let's face it, attention and playing time and 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 fame and in some cases financial reward that can be a finite resource and the fight to get all of that takes place away from our eyes not on tv not inside a stadium which we're in attending but on a practice field and that may be how these georgia players keep from letting that complacency kind of creep in because you might be complacent and go out there and beat south carolina or kentucky or whoever else but you can't be complacent and go out there and hold your starting job hold your playing time and your position with so many other young guys and guys who are hungry and who are willing to eat off the floor who are maybe trying to take that from you so that could be part of the mindset for uga here for this upcoming season but there's also this and then we'll move on and talk about something else that just because it's going to be hard to find doubters for this upcoming season and just because the gambling odds reflect georgia is a very large prohibitive favorite uh in this year of 2023 that doesn't mean that everyone's always going to give Georgia proper credit, and that doesn't mean there won't sometimes be people who are still kind of reluctant to bend the knee and admit that Georgia is just at the top of the college football world. In fact, some kind of familiar voices seem to keep showing up on some of this kind of stuff. I saw our, butter, our buddy, I should say, Connor Riley, had this on Twitter yesterday from Heather Denich on ESPN. Now, we have a rule around here as it relates to Denich is that 
at one point in time, I think that when she would say something kind of crazy about George, we'd sort of put it on the show, make a little bit of a big deal about it. But at a certain point in time, she's just sort of done that kind of thing so frequently that it becomes a little too easy. We don't really use her as fodder for topic as much anymore. She's kind of in the category of what maybe a Dan Wolk from USA Today became or what a Danny Cannell, even though I kind of like Danny a little bit, what Danny Cannell kind of came where it's like sort of a, a famed, you know, hater to the point where it was a little too cheap and easy to use that uh, to put points on the board during the show. But nonetheless, uh, well, we'll show this and I'll read this to you. Heather Dinich on the subject of Tennessee trying to make the playoff here this year. Uh, she wrote at ESPN yesterday that last fall, Tennessee beat Alabama, earned a number one ranking for a fleeting moment. Then listen to this lost a close game to eventual national champion Georgia, and the Vols came within a whisper of making the college football playoff for the first time. Connor's tweet, and I think he said this very well, is this is fan fiction. No one who actually watched the Georgia-Tennessee game last year would call that a close game. So it is an example, I think, of Heather Dennich kind of doing what she's done before as it relates to Georgia, so much so that she's not really a serious voice that we pay a ton of attention to on a show like this, but it is certainly an example of the truth that just because georgia does have very many doubters doesn't mean they'll be without doubters this season in fact not only will people get it wrong in the present about georgia it seems like some people are even still getting it wrong when it comes to the past that georgia dominated tennessee could have beaten that on that particular saturday in november as bad as it wanted to but it was rainy and georgia just decided to end the game and go home and uh any kind of moral victory that tennessee would want to claim for that or someone would want to claim on behalf of tennessee on that is simply in error and this same balls team uh, also went out to give up what 63 points whatever to a south carolina that did not come within a whisper of making the college football playoff and they did not keep it close with georgia last season frankly nobody for the most part other than ohio state kept it close with georgia at all so to kind of finish all this up yes georgia is the prohibitive na- uh, national championship favorite and that's going to make finding doubters hard but it won't be impossible and for a team that might need to be in search of every form of motivation it can get over the course of the upcoming year, you may occasionally get somebody not giving you full credit as something to use. As Stetson Bennett told us off the top of the show, that's something that Georgia used a year ago. And if there's any opportunity to use it again here in 2023, you better believe Georgia will do it again. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented today by Breda Pest Management, and we're happy to have you with us no matter how you get to us live on video today. Uh, we start at 945, first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app. We're 10 a.m. after that, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, on the radio at noon on App and Sports Radio 960 Ref, and available as a podcast wherever you find them, including the worldfamousdognation.com. So happy to have you here with us and so thankful for our friends at Breda Pest Management to make it all possible. You know, they're the official pest control provider of UGA Athletics. I think that's a really good thing because obviously you don't get recognized as that. You don't get a chance to partner with an organization like UGA Athletics unless you're doing great work and have a reputation for doing great work for a really long time. That means bugs, critters, termites, all those things protected at Sanford Stadium, protected all the, all the athletic venues there at uh at at uga across the campus that same level of protection could be belonging to you there too but here's the good news for a program as well resourced as uh or i should say an organization as well resourced as braided pass management is they also want to use that strength to help you here there as well they've been in business since 1975 they've got 125 employees i've you know driven by and i've seen their corporate campus it's gorgeous beautiful uh you know big and impressive and 
all of those impressive characteristics that Breda Pass Management brings to the table, they want to leverage those to your benefit by allowing you to save money instantly when you make the switch to Breda Pass Management for your termite protection, your pest control, and everything else. Let's face it, whatever fly-by-night company you might be working with, that cost of service for you may be going up year after year after year. Well, at Breda Pass Manager, that stops. Put money in your pocket just for making the switch. Trust the pest control provider that UGA trusts to take care of its athletic venues. You can do that for your own home there as well. So find them online, BredaPass.com. That is B-R-E-D-A, BredaPass.com for a lot more on that. All right, we're going to get Mike Griffith coming up in just a moment. Looking forward to talking to him here today. Uh, prior to us doing that, though, I want to go around the doghouse. And I kind of want to revisit a topic a little bit that we discussed yesterday as it relates to the Kendall Milton injury. Now, we had our say on that. Pretty much every Georgia fan does. And here's the thing that, that we all understand. Any kind of story like this in the springtime is going to be exaggerated in terms of the conversation that takes place right now because Georgia football fans are obsessive. I'm an obsessive. You're an obsessive. We sort of obsess over this topic. And in the springtime, we have less stuff to fixate on because there's just, you know, there's not a game to play on Saturday. There are just these practices. And so every little thing probably becomes a bigger thing. Now, Kendall Milton being injured and missing the rest of the spring is probably a little bit more than just a little thing. But I think it's also been probably blown up more than it needs to in terms of the reaction we're getting to this. In other words, I said this in the show yesterday, and I think it's worth restating here right now. My uh, bet on Kendall Milton, and admittedly this would be a small bet, my bet on Kendall Milton is is that Milton will likely still be Georgia's leading rusher this upcoming season. And if I had to bet, I'd say chances are better than not that his rushing yard total this year exceeds Georgia's rushing yard total for its season-long leader a year ago, Kenny McIntosh. I, I could see Milton getting up near 900 yards, something like that, which is more than what McIntosh had last season. So I don't know that my season-long outlook has changed on Milton. Frankly, I don't think that Georgia should be rushing to the transfer portal over this or or, or, or getting too concerned about anything else. Uh, I mean, Milton's one of those guys that has you know dealt with his share of injuries uh but he's also a, a guy that i think can still have a very bright future at uga we asked jake from about this directly yesterday jake joins us every tuesday i think it's always worth your time to hear what jake has to say we asked jake directly hey do you think that there's something that kind of connects all these injury stories together for milton or do you think this is just an aspect of just sort of being bad luck and jake didn't hesitate to say in the case of the milton injury despite the fact that he's dealt with a few of these things since he's been here in georgia that jake has every reason to believe that it's probably just bad luck and this doesn't change the season-long outlook for Milton this upcoming season another guy who talked about this a little bit yesterday too was Georgia wide receiver Arian Smith who has also dealt with his own series of nagging injuries that has also taken him off the field a little bit more than maybe he would have liked to over the course of his time at UGA and he was kind of asked about that and he actually pivoted the conversation talk a little bit more about what his message to Kendall Milton has been through all of this as Milton has the hamstring injury and they'll keep him off the field for the rest of spring practice we're told this is uh, Arian Smith the wide receiver yesterday I'm really focused on the time like present like I'm really trying to think about like the future or the past like it happened it happened Unfortunately, I had three, so I didn't deal with it a lot. I, I told Kate Mill early days, just, you know, it happens, man. I was, like, my roommate, Dejan, he had dealing with something, too. So I was like, you know, just keep your head, you know, straight. Just focus on the present, what you can do to get better and get healthy. That's good, wise words. And when Kirby Smart talks about, hey, we want a good connection on our team, we want our team to feel connected to each other, that's connection right there. Hey, I went and gave some words of encouragement to Kendall Milton. He's a different position group to me. 
Um, I've got my own injury stuff to worry about. I've got my own health and recovery to, to kind of pay attention to. But I'm going to go over here. I'm going to give, Ken, I'm gonna give Kel, uh, Kendall a pat on the back and uh, make him feel better about his situation. When Kirby Smart talks about being connected as a team, uh, that's what he's talking about. And I take that pretty seriously in the case of Arian Smith that, hey, you're going to shake this off. I'm shaking my thing off. And we're going to go out there. We're going to both be big-time contributors for this team here this season. In fact, I don't have time to play this audio for you but something else that that Arian said yesterday that I thought was really kind of cool talking about kind of a new look on offense with all the kind of new coordinator things like that you know the, the word that he used was hey this is an opportunity for you know different players to kind of get a chance to show what they're all about and to me the word opportunity stands out there I think that's an interesting choice of words for Arian Smith to use because I believe it draws kind of a sharp contrast between spring practice and fall practice Fall practice, when you start late July, you're talking about five, six weeks away from playing your first game. Fall practice, I believe, is divined by obligation. In fall practice, you got an obligation. You got to get out there and you got to, coaches got to find out who they trust to play. Players have to show how well developed they are. This is the time to find out what you're all about because you're about to start playing games for real. Even if it's a soft September schedule like Georgia is, there is still an obligation in fall camp to get it fixed, to get it set, and get ready to go out there and play. I would say that springtime, by comparison, even the SEC, where it's still a lot more rough and tumble and these spring games are televised to a certain extent and we give a lot of attention to spring practice, spring practice, I believe, is still a little bit different than fall practice. If fall practice, that camp that takes place part of the season, if that's about your obligation, then spring practice is a little bit more about the word that Arian Smith used yesterday. It's a little bit more about your opportunity. It's an opportunity to kind of figure out, hey, what would it look like if we put this guy in at running back? What would it look like if we put this guy in at wide receiver? Uh, opportunity to say hey it's a new quarterback new 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 offensive coordinator new this new that I'm going to get a chance to also kind of reboot my image in this program for a player that maybe hasn't been playing as much as you'd like to I'm going to see if I can impress somebody this spring it's more about the opportunity and the stakes I would say are much lower uh, let's keep in mind here that very good Georgia players Nicobe Dean Brock Bowers Roquan Smith I would say Marvin Jones Jr. this year there are some very good sp- uh, players in the Georgia program who have missed their spring practice and gone on to have historic seasons on the follow-up to all of that and I would say that Kendall Milton while you know I, I, he himself we played this audio for you yesterday he himself has said hey one of my big goals this year is to stay healthy and for a guy that's had a handful of nagging injuries that's caused him to miss games in all three of his seasons at UGA you can understand why he has that as a goal but in terms of making some sort of fatalistic proclamation about Georgia at the running back spot because of the fact that Milton has gotten injured during spring for now all this creates is an opportunity for somebody else come fall Milton will be obligated uh to 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 show what he's all about as Georgia gets ready to play the games that matter most but for the for now that's still a few months away so the Milton story is probably the biggest thing to happen to Georgia thus far this spring but in light of everything that's going to happen in the many months to come here in 2023, I don't think it'll rank as very big by then the way that it feels now. And keeping that in mind is probably an appropriate thing to do. And Arian Smith's words from yesterday give us a chance to do just that. That is Around the Doghouse here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management Today. Now, before we are done, there are a couple of recruiting notes I want to give you involving guys that either have Georgia offers who have been outright Georgia targets who are getting ready to make their recruiting decisions. We'll let you decide for yourself what all of this means i think in some cases here the writing may be on the wall so we're going to talk about that uh but for now getting ready to also chat with mike griffith on the subject of what is going on at spring practice the outlook there at the uh, running back spot uh national championship odds who does stand as a contender 
in comparison to Georgia. Anybody out there that's an actual threat? We'll talk about all of that and more with Mike Griffith here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Past Management. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. We'll sell it to Mike Griffith here on uh, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pass Manager today. Uh, Mike, good to be back with you again after we were away last Wednesday. And I want to bring you in on the conversation we were just having as it relates to the Kendall Milton injury. This is probably the biggest story, I think, to come out of spring practice here thus far. Uh, and as it, you know, as it counts, not great news. But also not a fatalistic type story for me either. I think my bet would be that Milton is probably still Georgia's leading rusher this season. I think he has a chance to even have more rushing yards than Georgia's leading rusher had a, a year ago. Uh, you know, clearly it's a series of injuries for Kendall Milton. But you know, as as Jake Fromm told us yesterday, look, bad luck's a part of football, and some got sometimes guys have to deal with a little bit of bad luck. Um, I, it's certainly not my position that the Kendall Milton thing is nothing a non story. It's you know, it's a story. But I do think, in some respects, some Georgia fans have taken a little bit too fatal of a view on all of this. So let's hear from you on the topic of what the Milton injury means for Georgia, the running back spot in particular. Well, in conjunction with uh, Dejon Edwards' injury is where it gives you a problem, is that you've got both of those guys that have been limited or out. And, you know, we, we reported on that last week, uh, you know, that Dejon Edwards also has been sidelined and limited. So your number one and number two back are out, Brandon, and I think, and I could be wrong here, I don't think this is too much of a conspiracy theory, but I think that's why Georgia didn't have a scrimmage on Saturday because they're down to two healthy scholarship backs, and I don't know how much of the offense Roderick Robinson knows at this point. I know you give him the ball and he runs over people. I know that. Uh, and I know that Branson Robinson is, is quite the low, too. But those are your only two healthy scholarship backs, and beyond that, um, you know, I believe there's a walk-on available or two. But to me, here, here's where it's an issue, because I've heard people say, well, it's only spring, it doesn't matter. Well, not exactly. It matters because right now is when Mike Bobo is, is trying to install and design a new offense. And you want to find out what these guys can do. And you want to see how it looks. And, you know, this is kind of the test flight for your offense. And, you know, I, I, w- I think it's an over-exaggeration to say that the running backs are the wings, but they're at least flaps on the wings of this airplane, this spaceship Georgia. So missing your number one and number two running back for half the spring drills, I, I think that does put a little dent. In, in some of your spring preparations, again, you can recover from it. You've got a very easy schedule next September. There's a long runway. Um, but but it's, uh, it's not convenient. And it can, in conjunction with Dejon Edwards, I would agree that the Kendall Milton, um, you know, hamstring, albeit not, a, not an overly serious injury, he'll be back training this summer, but it does put a crimp in the plans this spring. So for those of us who may not be fully aware, you know, can you tell us more about the Dejon Edwards situation? Yeah, I understand that's a hamstring, too. Which makes you wonder a little bit about the, the training, you know, the Scott Sinclair training. I mean, gosh, they pushed those guys so hard. Last year it was foot injuries. This year you got a couple running backs from the hamstrings. Or maybe Jake's, or to maybe Jake's point, it's just bad luck. But uh, unfortunately, yeah, you know, and, and I believe Connor's also written uh, about Dejan being limited in observation. And then, um, of course, what our sources told us uh, about Dejan Edwards also being limited with, with the hamstring as well. We talked about before you joined us, uh, FanDuel online sportsbooks got some national championship odds up, and you know it kind of tells the picture that we expect to see that right now there's very little 
I should say there's a very big gap between Georgia and almost any other championship contender for the upcoming season. Georgia's about two to one right now. Alabama, the next team on the list, is at five to one. That's a little larger of a gap than you oftentimes see between the top two teams for the national championship. Ohio State's at seven to one. Those are the only three teams that have odds shorter than ten to one to win this year's title. You get to I'm just giving you this. My Michigan ten to one, USC sixteen to one, FSU's eighteen to one, LSU's at eighteen to one. You got Clemson, Penn State, both at twenty to one. When you look out there, Mike, uh, obviously Georgia's going to be the favorite in this year's national championship. Who do you kind of view biggest threat there? Is it an SEC team? Is it one of these Big Ten teams we've seen Georgia play in the playoff before? Is it a newcomer to the party? You know, nationally, what's interesting to you outside of Georgia right now? Well, you know, it's the last year of the four-team playoffs, and and I think it's easier to win a national championship in a four-team playoff than a 12-team playoff, um, personally. So, uh, this Georgia team does look built for another championship run, so I understand why the odds are what they are. Uh, you know, it's, it's it's Georgia against you know Alabama doesn't. We don't know who their quarterback is. That's the issue with Alabama, Brandon. I mean, we know they're stacked. We we've, we've seen their recruiting classes. We know they reload. We don't know much about these new coordinators either. You got you got a new quarterback and a new offensive coordinator and a new defensive coordinator, uh, and an Alabama team coming off losses to LSU and Tennessee. So I don't know that I feel good about Alabama as the second favorite. I, I, I kind of like Ohio State, but again, another program where we have to answer the question at quarterback. We saw the rest of the Buckeyes are capable. We saw that they were able to play Georgia even at the line of scrimmage. We know that. Um, we know there's talent there, and we certainly know there's desire um, as, if, as if they needed any more motivation. Um, so the biggest threat to me, to Georgia, and this, this sounds trite, is Georgia. It's Georgia. It's making sure that your leadership – continues to evolve, which I've been very impressed with, with how Georgia has moved forward after the you know very well-documented off-field incidents. Uh, Jamon Dumas-Johnson still need to hear from JDJ. To me, that's kind of the final piece of the puzzle that I need to see click before I'm like completely all in. But, but all the other leaders, all the other players that I've heard from, this is a team uh, that has moved on and is, is upholding itself to a different standard. Uh, I'm hearing this is a team that moves even faster on the practice field. We know there's a lot of talent there. Um, we've got questions, right? The running back room makes me wonder if they're going to get a transfer running back just to make sure. You certainly don't want to be shorthanded there in the season. Feel good about the incoming transfers at receivers. Particularly love it. Feel great about the quarterback situation. Uh, feel good about the line of scrimmage. Um, so Georgia. Georgia's its own biggest threat, Brandon. They need to continue to evolve, have good leadership, and direction and um if georgia stays locked in and answers all those questions i, I do think they're the, the biggest force to be reckoned with and, and i would favor them to win the national championship so i if i was going to bet on a non-georgia team on the list that we just saw there especially given the odds the team that interesting me most is probably lsu because i agree with you i mean we saw alabama lose two regular season games a year ago it's not obvious to me they're still the same level of national championship contender they've been in the past you know the big 10 stuff's going to work itself out I don't know that I have a strong opinion about that as of yet, but I, I do think year two of Brian Kelly could be pretty interesting, especially if they find a role for Garrett Nussmeyer. I don't think that Jaden Daniels is a national championship level quarterback, even when he's healthy, but I do think a combination of Daniels and Nussmeyer could be kind of an interesting little, little package there if Brian Kelly can find a way to make that work. I think the non-Georgia team that probably interests me most right now is probably LSU. I would agree with that. The only thing I, I, the reason I would would pick a different team is just because LSU's in the SEC and they have a tougher road. And, and while you're saying that Jaden Daniels isn't a national championship quarterback, somewhere Stetson Bennett is laughing. 
because Jaden Daniels is absolutely talented if he's surrounded with the kind of talent that Georgia had. But I don't think LSU is built like Kirby Smart's seventh, sixth, and seventh year Georgia teams. I'll tell you what, my wild card, and this is coming out of left field, and the only reason I'm going with this team is because they have a quarterback coming back, and I think this, I think the quarterback situation absolutely sunk this program. And my clue to you is, see that field right there? You're going to be throwing touchdowns right there, dog. I think now that now that that program has a legitimate quarterback, and they we know they're in the easiest conference out there. Maybe Florida State a little bit more of a threat. I think Clemson is my dark horse for the college football championship next year. By the way, FanDuel's also got LSU right now at uh, over, under eight and a half wins with the uh, juice in the over at minus Ooh. one. Hey, Brandon, I know where you're going with that one, Brandon. I know where you're going. I would say it's probably worth a look. I would say that indeed. Let me let, let me also kind of follow <laughs> up on something you just said a moment ago, because I know you wrote this the other day there as well, about the idea of transfer portal for running back, but you're not going to the transfer portal just for a hamstring. Though. I mean, it's not like Milton's going to miss the year, though, right? I mean, uh, I mean, uh, that, would, that would seem to be a pretty um, – I guess damning statement if you were to go to the ham go to the transfer portal on a running back just because you had a couple guys dealing with hamstrings during the spring, right? Well, I, I think it also has to do with with maybe wanting a running back that can catch the ball, right? If there's one thing, and I think Kendall Milton can, by the way, but but Dejan, you know, to me, I, I didn't think looked great at that. He didn't look like a guy that was going to get downfield on a wheel. Just didn't, you know. He just a churner, a slasher, and 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 I, and I love watching Dejan running. He just, you know wears people down, he runs hard, he's small, he's elusive, he gets behind. But I don't see him as that pass-catching back. Certainly neither the, the heavy Broderick or, or uh, your Roderick Robinson, your Branson or Roderick Robinson. I don't feel like either one of those guys is, is your uh, marquee back guy. So you get another back for two reasons. One, uh, to give you some diversity, uh, in addition to Kendall, as a guy that can catch the ball effectively. But two, to give you that healthy body, that veteran body that's done it, been there, done it somewhere before. Uh, and, and the third reason, I'll give you another one. You know, Kirby Smart loves his special teams, and when we think about players that are special team standouts, running backs are typically uh, some of the best athletes on the team, running backs and linebackers. I mean, those are the last guys that you want to run into in an alley, um, quite literally. And you need those guys on your special teams units. And, and George is just, this is two years in a row where we're talking about running back depth. And that's got to be getting old and irritating to Kirby, certainly Mike Bobo. Uh, I just feel like you, that's an itch that needs to be scratched. Hamstrings, to your point, it's not an ACL or an MCL or anything you know, that, like Andrew Paul is still recovering from. Um, but it, it is a recurring injury. And, and not only does it recur uh, physiologically, but mentally. And, and I think Kendall had gotten over it mentally, and, and I think he'll bounce back again. But hamstrings, once, once one pops on you, and I don't know if you – you know, had that displeasure or not. Uh, it happened to me in my, not coincidentally, last year playing, you know, men's travel ball. Uh, once it goes, you, you don't you don't hit the gas the same again sure. for a while. It's, a, it's kind of a hand-on-hot stove effect. Let me uh, follow up on this real quick because I do want to talk about one more subject if we have time. But uh, I think you bring up an interesting point as it relates to, like, catching the football. We talked about this yesterday. To me, this is the one thing that no one's talking about enough around Georgia, and this would be true if Dejon and Kendall were both fully healthy. This would still be the topic is – 
you had Sonny Michelle in 2017. You had James Cook after that. You had Kenny McIntosh after that. Georgia always has that really versatile weapon at the running back spot who becomes a really good pass catcher to go along with also running the football there as well and I don't know that role is clearly defined on this year's team even if Milton and uh, Edwards are both healthy I I think that role the 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 McIntosh Cook Sony role is still kind of undefined so on the one hand that's a pretty big deal but on the other hand Mike if you would have told me when he was coming out of high school that Kenny McIntosh would be the next James Cook at Georgia the next Sonny Michelle at Georgia that's not the way I thought he was built I thought he was built a little bit different than that and he actually turned out to be a great athlete at the running back position I think he slimmed down some which helped him do that but his profile kind of changed while he was at Georgia so on the one hand you got to find this guy who can do that stuff for you but on the other hand the emergence of Kenny McIntosh shows that sometimes the guy who ends up being that really versatile weapon can be a surprise well, he, he was a surprise to a lot of us because he flew under the radar in recruiting and Georgia was on him late, but he actually played a lot of receives. So Del McGee knew what he was getting, but I don't think, to your point, I, you know, I think the expectations for Kenny were a little lower. I mean, you had the, you know, the, the uh, you know, where people were blinded by the five-star rating of Zamir and, and James was a five-star. And, and Kenny was kind of viewed as a second-tier back. It's kind of a joke in the family now that Alabama actually wrote that on a piece of paper when he was on a recruiting visit there. His uncle spied the recruiting list of running back rankings on, on the then running back coaches list, and they saw they had Kenny rated as a second-tier back. They literally wrote first-tier, second-tier, third-tier, and had names written down beneath it. And that's when the McIntosh family decided that not only were they not going to, to Alabama, but they were some good day going to beat Alabama. That lit the fuse. But Kenny was actually a receiver in high school and uh, caught a lot of balls, so so I think Dell knew what he was getting, but to your point, Kenny did develop over the course of time. Remember, he played on special teams as a return guy. That's another question for me. Like, who's the return guys now? I, I don't, you know, that's an area that, that's kind of sort of been missing. I, I think Lad's too valuable to put back there on punt return this year. I think you've got to maybe groom someone else for that role. Obviously, Karras moving on. Um, you know, kick return, I, when's the last time we really held our breath? Uh, McCole Hardman days, perhaps? So, uh, that's another reason why I like that portal. Uh, is there someone else on the team, uh, to your point, that, that could develop or grow or be moved into that? I mean, I look at maybe Brock Bowers, maybe maybe use him a little bit more of an H-back. I mean, my goodness, he's Captain America. He does everything else. Uh, but then who do you play at tight end? Is, is Delp ready uh, to, for the Brock Bowers position or loss and lucky perhaps? Uh, you know, so there's a, there's a few different ways that you can cut this pie. But I agree with you. They need to find an answer for a receiver out of the backfield. All right, let me do this very quick because I've kept you long, but uh, I thought you had a good piece the other day, dognation.com, and it's very similar to something we talked about here where when Kirby goes to make and he gets asked in that Q&A by a fan about the three permanent opponents for Georgia, you know, Kirby sort of took the old school Bobby Bowden mantra of any anybody, anywhere, anytime. He says, I'll just play who you give me in, in so many words. That's what he said. Whereas Nick Saban took a completely different tact about you know the idea that Alabama and the permanent opponent world may play LSU and Tennessee and Auburn each and every year and you know Mike we're obviously a partisan show here dog nation daily we're 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 pro Georgia but in this particular case I think the Georgia argument is better than the other here of if I'm an Alabama fan and I've got Nick Saban nervous about playing every year opponents that Alabama historically been beating every year I sort of wonder, as a Bama fan, what does Saban know that we don't? Why are these games about to be tougher now than they used to be uh, You know, for Alabama? If I'm a Bama fan, that makes me nervous. The idea that Kirby Smart seemingly by appearances doesn't care who Georgia plays, that level of confidence and that level of, 
I guess, disregard for this as a topic, I think sort of speaks to the arrow pointing up for Georgia as a program. And I know you wrote about this as well. Yeah, well, I'll say this, Brandon, and, and, and I love me some Kirby Smart when he speaks because he's so raw, but I also think he's very transparent. I, I feel like I can read Kirby Smart pretty good. And, and this, this, is what we, this is what we both know about Kirby Smart. Kirby Smart doesn't worry about much outside of the, what's in front of him the next three feet. Okay, so when it comes to scheduling, Kirby's not looking beyond this season. And, and let's, let's, be, let's be frank here. Uh, Florida ain't what they used to be. Kentucky ain't the scariest draw. And Auburn is in a rebuild. That, that's who Georgia has right now. I don't think I would be caring or complaining either. Saban, meanwhile, perhaps on his last legs, has Brian Kelly to deal with, What? who I think Brian Kelly's an absolute monster. I think he's the Loch Ness Monster of the West. I think he's the, the, he's the guy to fear. That's the future. That's the big hurdle coming up for everybody. He did, you know. So he's got, he's got, he's got Tennessee on a rebound. He's got Brian Kelly, and then he's got that irritating Auburn team that can be just so terrible, and yet somehow everybody circles the wagons, and you know they, 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 they play incredible when they play Alabama. So I guess what I'm saying is I kind of understand why Nick Saban's looking at this like, wait a minute, how do we get out? You know, and, and if I'm Kirby, I'm absolutely playing it this way because, it, because right now it benefits Georgia. And so uh, and now if Kirby was dealt a different hand, if Kirby had Tennessee, Alabama – and, uh, I don't know, LSU is the permanent part. I don't quite know that he would have the same take. So I enjoy Kirby, but I absolutely think he's playing poker and really sticking it to Nick when he's got the opportunity, as he should. Well, listen, I'm always in favor of sticking it to Nick Saban. So, uh, Mike, I appreciate your time on our show today. We'll look forward to reading a bunch more from you at uh, dognation.com. Obviously, spring practice rolling on. We're getting closer to G-Day. And there'll be plenty of fun stuff to talk about between now and then. So we'll see you next time right here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pass Management. I appreciate it, Brandon. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Our producer, Michael Carvel, is very happy right now because for one of the first times ever, we were able to successfully hang up on Mike before he hung up on us since we didn't have to hear the uh, dial tone over the air. That's something we've talked about before. And so there you go there on that. Hey, real quick on the uh, Saban uh, smart front before we kind of change the subject here. I mean, most coaches are self-serving with how they speak in public. They have a reason for saying what they say. We understand that. One of the things I do like about Kirby in comparison to Saban I feel like Kirby's pretty consistent. I feel like Kirby kind of has a little bit of a mindset and sort of sticks with it. Whereas I feel like that Nick Saban, like a politician, is more than happy to let his opinion completely reverse course, depending on whichever way the wind is blowing. It's one of the reasons why it was so obvious to me last week that Saban had an ulterior motive about his comments about wrong place, wrong time, even though he tried to pretend otherwise, because his way of handling the, the Tony Mitchell situation is so different than the way he's handled previous discipline issues. You know, Mitchell all of a sudden in so many you know matter of words gets the book thrown at him whereas that you know a year ago we have jermaine burton on video punching a woman and nothing happened to burton uh but all of a sudden it sort of benefited saban to kind of appear to be tough on discipline so therefore that's what he did even though his previous behavior totally contradicts that well it's the same thing going on here as it relates to the scheduling stuff for a long time nick saban was very public and open about the fact that he wanted the sec to move to a nine-game conference schedule he said that openly publicly many times and now it appears the sec is going to do the thing that saban once said he wanted to but now he's whining about playing lsu and auburn and tennessee each and every year despite the fact that they've been playing each and every year for ever and all of a sudden those games are hard now uh it's just an example of uh, nick saban really having no i would say principles other than what matters to him in the moment and i do think that makes kirby smart different than him 
In this particular case, I think the different is better. All right, with that said, let's shift gears here and go cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And obviously, what we know is going to be better there as well for all of us who get a chance to be on board the second ever Dog Nation cruise coming up in just, I mean, we're inside of a month now. It seemed like for a long time we were months and months away, but now we're like well inside of a month. It's April 24th. We're going down to Port Canaveral, getting on board Independence of the Seas, going to Perfect Day Coco Cay, going to Nassau in the Bahamas, getting that four-night experience. And my kids right now are so mad at me. Oh my gosh, they're so mad at me because they're going to be in school and I'm being on board Independence of the Seas. That, that, that's enough to make them manage at, at their daddy, as you might imagine. But I do try to tell them, hey, all of this just a precursor to the fact that my family, along with my mom and my brother and his family, we're all going to be on board Independence of the Seas again coming up on June, taking one of those short three-night, kind of over-a-weekend type sailings. That's one of the cool things about Royal Caribbean. Whatever fits your schedule at the moment, the three-night sailing that goes over the weekend, the four-night sailing if you want kind of a nice taste of cruising, or if you're ready for the big boy, seven nights, you can do all of that and hit all kinds of Caribbean destinations. Whichever one suits you the best, Royal Caribbean's there for you. And in fact, Royal Caribbean has recommended a great travel agent that can make that process even more seamless and even more enjoyable by booking with someone who really knows the Royal Caribbean product and the service they provide up and down. That is our friend Jessica Slater. You can give her a call, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. Jessica will take good care of you. And whatever Royal Caribbean cruise seems right for you, she can help make it happen for you. So check her out today and check royal caribbean out indeed including january of 2024 the debut of icon in the seas and i gotta tell you this is self-serving but i'm really crossing my fingers that i get a chance to maybe be on board that uh experience very very soon in 2024 hoping for that as a possibility we'll see if that happens all right so with that said let's go cruise around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean there is something interesting happening today um i'm gonna try to make this interesting to you and we'll do it quickly uh, there are some NCAA officials who are meeting on Congress to discuss name, image, likeness. There is still a hope in the part of the NCAA that some sort of federal legislation could be put together that kind of handles kind of a blanket policy for NIL across the uh, landscape of the in- entire country here. The NCAA has a new president. That president has a political background, former uh, governor of Massachusetts. And so they're going to try to use, I guess, the, the, the lever of politics here to get some change that comes to NIL. And look, you kind of know the story here. Most people are anti-NCAA. And I think based on opinion polling and things like that, when it comes to like the NIL stuff and things like that, you know, I think that the majority of people who have an opinion on this are of the opinion that the NCAA's kind of approach to this has been wrong. So pretty clearly the NCAA's got an uphill fight. But one of the things that's been pushed, I know that Dennis Dodd had a story about this at CBSSports.com the other day, one of the things that's being pushed on the part of the sort of NCAA folks here is, is there isn't enough transparency as it relates to NIL. There was a quote from an administrator somewhere that says, the one thing we know about NIL is everybody lies about it. And a statement like that creates some cynicism on the part of other people of, you know, why do you have to be so negative about this? Why can't you just embrace the change, embrace the new stuff? But I, I'll just give you one quick opinion and we'll move on. I do think there's an element in which more transparency for NIL would actually benefit the players here. I do think the lack of truthfulness, the lack of candor, the lack of transparency as it relates to who's getting what in NIL makes the act of being an athlete and trying to be on a football team more frustrating because you're hearing so-and-so somewhere else is getting so-and-so dollars, and that makes you dissatisfied with your current situation. But we could find out that, no, that was a lie. Uh, Nick Saban, you know, on one side of his mouth is talking about paying Bryce Young a million dollars on the other side of his mouth says we're not paying guys anything you know 
you know, over the course of time, you just see so many exaggerated claims in terms of the absence of NIL or the presence of NIL or whatever else. I think a little bit more transparency, I think, would help players make a more informed decision about where they want to play and their ability to kind of maintain some sort of contentment, satisfaction with where they are. Um, I think that would be aided as well if we just had a little bit more open. I mean, I would be in favor. I mean, every year we publish a, a list of salaries for like coaches and assistant coaches and things like that. To me, there ought to be an open database somewhere uh, that also lists the the amount of money the NIL players are the, the the payers getting players getting paid via NIL. I think that would give us more information on that. You know, we hear about well, so and so got this Ferrari, but what you find out is well, that Ferrari was actually just you know leased. <laughs> You know, yeah, that person's net worth didn't go up. They just were given the chance to drive the Ferrari for a year, and all of a sudden you realize, well, actually, that's not nearly as much money, you know, from a monetary value as I thought it was. Just an example of one of the things that kind of exists out there. So I think that more transparency would be better. I don't know that this congressional hearing is going to lead to that, but I think fighting for a little bit more openness and a little bit more honesty about NIL would probably serve everybody pretty well. By the way, speaking of recruits who could earn some NIL money, there is interesting news here involving players with Georgia offers. I'll start with Deuce Robinson. You remember him as kind of the lone name of note remaining from the class of 2023, the tight end from Arizona, uh, who's also a, a baseball prospect of some note. This is a very, very impressive player who could kind of be – maybe even like a Brock Bowers type mold if he were to come to Georgia. Uh, Robinson is getting ready to make his announcement. Hayes Fawcett, who does so many of the edits here on this, saying that he's going to announce his commitment on Thursday, March 30th. That's obviously tomorrow. Uh, and so you see all the schools have offered him. This is sort of thought to be, I think, a Georgia-USC battle. And at this point in time, as I say all the time, jokingly, uh, coaches sometimes say this to each other, I guess, that if you don't know, it ain't you, and you'll be hard-pressed to find anybody around there who thinks it's Georgia, which means it's probably not. At this point in time, it seems like Robinson's going to USC. I do think he would have been a very good player had he come to Georgia. At least he has the chance to be. I don't know that a player who's as interested in baseball as Robinson is would be a very good fit at a place like Georgia. That's just a fact. Um and I listen, he's got every right to pursue whatever dream he wants to be. And if he wants to be the next Deion Sanders, if he wants to be the next Bo Jackson, then more power to him. But there's a reason why when we talk about guys who succeed in two sports, we mention names like Deion and Bo, two of the greatest athletes of all time. Hard to be in that category. But if that's what Deuce wants, then more power to him. I wish him well. I think he could have been a great player at Georgia, but that's if he focuses exclusively on football. If he has divided allegiances or divided uh, uh, ambitions, then maybe USC may be the better fit for him, and that may be where he goes. Then there's also this. Jake Merklinger, a quarterback uh, from down in Savannah, is also getting ready to announce his commitment announcement. If you're watching on video, we'll show this on the screen to you there as well, saying he's going to be announcing his commitment also at Thursday, uh, 12.05 p.m., and he's got a long list of offers there as well. Uh, Merklinger got a Georgia offer just a few weeks ago, and that kind of got some attention because obviously, you know, we have thought Georgia was all in on five-star quarterback Dylan Riola. The fact that Merklinger is getting ready to announce his commitment here with the Riola thing still unresolved, I think would once again reinforce the thing we've all kind of thought, which is that Georgia is all in on Dylan Riola. I don't know where Merklinger is going to go. Internet says Tennessee. Who am I to argue with that? We'll find out tomorrow. But despite the fact that Merklinger recently got a Georgia offer, Georgia does not appear to be uh, that big of a factor here in all of this. And it just kind of reinforces what we said we knew, which is that Georgia is going after uh, five-star quarterback Dylan Riola. So kind of all in, all the chips on the table after Riola taking an official visit. I think we're told, what, beginning of June? 
uh, commitment decision for Riola coming shortly after that. So going to be a very interesting summer as Georgia goes after a five-star quarterback, content to let a guy like Merklinger go elsewhere. Of course, Georgia's also got the commitment from uh, Ryan Puglisi out of Connecticut there as well. One more note to give you there, too. So I, we showed you the screen grab early in the show of Heather Denich and her <laughs> statement about what was it she said uh, that Tennessee came within an eyelash or a whisper, whatever that was, of making the college football playoff. I don't know that many even neutral observers would describe it that way, but nonetheless, you know, people are going to do what they're going to do. But in her uh, little write-up about uh, Tennessee kind of, you know, maybe making a push for the playoff, one of the things she talked about, and this is obviously true, is that the thing that holds Tennessee back is they're just lousy on defense. They're absolutely awful on defense. And, you know, this is that thing that's going to hang over them of if you want to be in the category of – because, I mean, like last year, Tennessee beat LSU. They go on the road and they beat LSU. But you heard me say this a moment ago. If I'm looking at kind of a team kind of off the radar to make a real push for the playoff here right now, my team would be LSU. Now, not better than Georgia necessarily. We're sort of taking Georgia out of this. And it's kind of funny that none of the ESPN folks seem to be giving LSU the time of day at all right now, at all. And yet, when I look at the overall roster construction, I see a team in LSU that's far more balanced on both sides of the ball than what Tennessee is. And if we've learned anything from college football and kind of the post-Joe Burrow world, um, is that balance matters again. If you've got Joe Burrow throwing to Jamar Chase, then that's enough. That's all you need. And if you're playing like pandemic football in 2020 when no one's playing defense, then Alabama can go out there and play seven-on-seven and be just fine. But in 21 and 22, the last two years, balance has mattered in college football. This has been real football again. Balance has mattered, and Tennessee just doesn't have it. And listen, I think that Josh Heupel is an extraordinary offensive mind. My guess is that Tennessee probably scores a lot of points again this season. I think that's true whether – Joe Milton's the quarterback or if Nico Imaleva you know emerges the quarterback and if a guy like Jake Merklinger wants to go to Tennessee strictly for that reason then I think he's making a pretty good decision because if he can eventually become the Tennessee starter in whatever year odds are working with Josh Heupel they'll score points but when you play as fast as as Heupel plays when you spread it out as much as he does it and move at the speed they do there is no free lunch in college football there is always a payback for every positive thing you have and the sacrifice that Tennessee makes on defense so the offense can do what it does, that is just obvious. It's recognizable. They give up 63 points to South Carolina. South Carolina ran out of fireworks. They were scoring so many touchdowns. Um, and do you see any obvious reason in 2023 why that's going to change? I don't. My guess is that Tennessee remains a dangerous football team because they do score points. And if they score a lot of them on you early, then the game feels very, very different. But if you can withstand that early storm – and if you can assert yourself a little bit physically, then eventually Tennessee will probably wilt. That's what obviously happened uh, last year in Athens, and that's what will happen again this year in Knoxville, uh, I probably assume. So Tennessee's a defense away from being a college football playoff contender. There have been a lot of teams that have been that spot before, and they found finding that defense very hard to do when you focus so much of your program on the offensive side. We'll make that cruise around the SEC courtesy of royal caribbean now i'll tell you this we are enjoying ourselves this time of year chance to be outside again enjoying a baseball season about to start or just patio season back decks golf course things like that well listen when we're outside and enjoying ourselves one of the things we love to take with us is our friends at the finish long drink you can enjoy all of that whether it be the cranberry or the long drink strong eight and a half percent alcohol by volume long drink zero no carbs no sugar the traditional comes in a blue can, got the citrus flavor, the grapefruit flavor, the gin kick. Boy, it's just really, really good. And you can enjoy 
um, a lot of that right now by going to thelongdrink.com. Whichever variety you think you like best, you can try it at a golf course, in your patio, at a bar, at a restaurant, whatever else. Try the finished long drink if you haven't. And by the way, don't forget on Friday, we'll do our big finish presented by the finished long drink. And for those of you who've been enjoying some finished long drink, send it to me on Twitter at Dog Nation Daily. We'll highlight you as a part of the big finish later on this week. Okay, so let's get ready to do a golden shoe to uh, wrap up here today. Obviously, all interest on G-Day on April 15th. I guess we're still sort of waiting to find out more about tickets f- for all of that. If y'all have heard something definitive on that, let me know. But uh, what we do have now is a very cool G-Day logo. In fact, a little bit unusual for me to kind of give a golden shoe to the official account for Georgia or just the athletic department in general. They've already got plenty of awards. But we'll give them a golden shoe today because I would say this G-Day logo is man oh man a step in the right direction kind of a classic pennant kind of a classic font to be frank a lot better than the typical font that george has been using the last few years this is just really really sharp and i hope this becomes kind of the g-day logo moving forward i think this is great i think this is great so we'll go golden shoe there on that for them today for a great g-day logo get us excited about april 15th those of you can't be in the stadium you can watch it on espn2 at 4 p.m that's good news too alabama streaming internet for their spring game but nonetheless uh gator hater countdown there as well uh 213 days from right now georgia back in jacksonville beaten up on florida again that is our gator hater countdown we'll see you tomorrow dog nation daily presented by breda pest management